0: but joining us on the line to start our final hour. You may hear him every Saturday right here on WIP. You may have read many stories of his at Inquire.com over the past several years. You also may own a book that he has written, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. It's called The Rise. Mike Sielski joins us. Good morning there, Mike.
1: Morning, John. Morning, Barrett. How are you guys? Morning. Morning. How's it going?
0: Good. All right, Mike. Let's get into this. First things okay. first, uh, Jalen Hurts was a limited participant at practice, Eagles practice yesterday. Nick Sirianni will speak shortly. Maybe he'll give something official. Maybe he will not. Uh, Mr. Mike Sielski, in your opinion, an A.C. sprain of that shoulder. He wanted to play last week. Would you let him play this week?
1: I probably would not, John. I think they can beat the Saints without him. Better to get him another week of rest. Make sure that he comes back 100% especially without Lane Johnson out there. I think that's a pretty big factor. Uh, You want to minimize the risk to Hurts as much as possible. Um, So I think you take your chances with Gardner Minshew, and in the worst-case scenario that the Saints somehow beat the Eagles, then you can uh, adjust your plans accordingly for the Giants in the final week of the season.
0: Well, this leads to an interesting scenario that uh, Barrett and I haven't agreed on. Let's, you know, hypothetically, if if, – I would think that even with Gardner Minshew, the Eagles are good enough to beat the Saints, uh, and therefore they wrap up the number one seed. How do you handle Jalen Hurts uh, you know, until the divisional round of the playoffs? Do you just let him sit and rest? Do you play him a half against the Giants? How do you handle that? Because it would be five weeks off. That's a lot.
1: It is a lot, but i got to be honest, John. I've come around on the idea of rest versus rust. I side more with the rest. I think the rest at this time of year in the NFL season – uh, is really important, especially now that the regular season 17 games. Uh, and I think we've also seen a couple of examples uh, with the Eagles in 2004 and in 2017, where the rest didn't bother them so much, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that if if you keep them sharp, it, they can stay sharp off the field. They can, you know, through walkthroughs and film work and practice and and what they're doing during the practices. You know, we were very concerned about uh, training camp and. How the Eagles were going to come out of the gate because they worked less than any other team, well, they won their first, what, eight games, yeah, uh, whatever it was. So I'm not so worried about the rust. I think the rest is the way to go.
0: So speaking of them winning their first eight games, it's just a factoid that causes you to think. So the uh, last remaining unbeaten team in an NFL regular season— uh, to w- go on to win the Super Bowl was 2006, when the Colts were able to do it. Since then, multiple number one seeds have either, you know, they either faltered from being the number one seed before uh, clinching it, starting out undefeated, or have been one and done, or have fallen short in a Super Bowl. And I, when I'm trying to draw correlations to what could be a weakness of the Eagles, I worry about stubbornness from the coaching standpoint, that they are so convinced because of success— that they would be unwilling to adjust or adjust with enough time remaining. Uh, is the coaching staff at all a concern of yours after watching, I guess, really that Dallas game and a lot of that zone defense and so forth?
1: Well, look, I think they have a very good coaching staff. I think the season has borne that out. I think what we're talking about when we generally have been critical of the coaching staff, with the exception of what Gen was doing early on, I think, um, we're, we're talking about small things here, right? We're mm-hmm. talking about um, did they throw the ball too much against the Bears? Was the defense playing too much zone against the Cowboys when they're missing, what, two or three starters on the back end? Uh, and they've got to do something to try to, to try to patch that secondary together when you don't have Avanti Maddox and, you know, uh, Chauncey Gard johnson um, So I'm not so worried about the coaching staff's stubbornness, per se. I think they have been pretty good all year about devising game plans based on the opponent that they're going to face in a particular week. You know, they ran all over the Packers. They came back, you know, and that was after, I guess that was before, throwing the ball all over the place against the Titans. Uh, and they've been pretty good and, and you know, pretty on point about saying, okay, we've got this opponent this week. What do we have to do to beat this team? And so I, I don't think if they lose in the playoffs, I don't think it's going to be a matter of Nick Sirianni or Jonathan Gannon or Shane Steichen saying, no, we're going to do it this way because that's the way we do it. Um, you know, a la Andy Reid, let's say, in the 2002-2003 championship games.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mike, i got to move to basketball now because I imagine this irked you the way that it did me. So uh, Christmas Day, it's a, it's massive for the National Basketball Association. Many see it as their opening day, like the casual fan. This is when they start getting into basketball. And an hour before the Sixers tip off against the Knicks at the Garden, it's a glorious day. A report comes out from Jim Wojnarowski, and you know he was given this information that James Harden may not want to stay in Philadelphia beyond this year.
1: Mike, what the hell? Are you surprised by this, John? Uh, I mean, this is but but timing is everything. Why? Yeah, but 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 look, James Harden has one thing on his mind, and it's James Harden, and he's always <laughs> kind of been that way. Um, you know, go back to the off season. This was this was an objection I had when everybody was praising Harden for quote-unquote taking less money to come and play for the Sixers. Well, it's kind of like, okay, well, what other options did he have? He didn't do it out of the goodness of his heart. He did it because he's in the best possible situation he could be in for what he says he wants, which is competing for a championship and winning a championship. There isn't really a market out there for James Harden. It's not as if teams were clamoring uh, to sign him to a max contract. Everybody saw who he was in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So – This is what he's doing now, is he's trying to generate leverage for the end of the season so that he can get where he wants to be or get what he wants in terms of money. And I don't think it matters to him that it was on Christmas Day. If anything, Christmas Day was the right time for him to do it in his mind because the whole world's paying attention to the NBA on Christmas Day.
0: But does it have to be made public? I mean, there's no reason to put that out there. That can't be handled behind closed doors.
1: We're not even at the halfway point of the season. I mean, I suppose could, but that's not how yeah. modern-day athletes generally do things nowadays. Um, they're trying to create leverage for – Harden is trying to create leverage for himself. And he's going to use whatever you know trick in his bag he can. We saw this with Ben Simmons, right? I mean, how many times did, did things come out publicly during the back-and-forth between the Sixers and Ben Simmons? And you say to yourself, why can't this stay behind closed doors? It's because the agents and the executives who are doing the, the negotiating – you know, want to shift public opinion and the Mm. perception of power in their direction. And they think they can use tactics like this to do that.
0: Well, shame on the NBA and shame on Ben Simmons. I I do have something Phillies related to ask you about, Mike. I was shocked that Gene Segura uh, signed for as little as he did. Two-year, $17 million contract with the Marlins. He was their best contact hitter. Why so little
1: interest, Mike? Well, player in his, you know... Early to mid-30s, you know, wasn't hitting as well at the end of the season uh, as he had been throughout uh, the regular season. You know, he got a couple big hits uh, in big spots for the Phillies during their run of the World Series, but they weren't, uh, you know, scalding line drives. They were kind of punch shots through the infield. And and by the time the the, the World Series was ending, uh, it was pretty clear that Segura had become, you know, one of the weaker hitters in the lineup. Of course, all the, all the hitters in the lineup were pretty weak by the end of that Astros series. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's it. I, I, you know, I don't think it's a matter of anything other than he's perceived to be a player on the decline, and this is kind of what player on the decline gets in terms of a contract.
0: You think they did enough in the
1: bullpen to uh, to compete, especially, you know, with, with, with the Mets and everybody at this point going out there, to, you know, the Braves. Do they have enough now? You know, Baron, I don't know, because I think the bullpen is maybe – the one area in baseball more than any that is completely unpredictable you know we've seen Phillies in recent years go out and sign big name guys you know to to wealthy contracts the Pat Nischak's the David Robertson's uh you know Corey Knebel's, and it doesn't work out and if they think that a guy like Connor Brogdon showed them enough last season to be counted on this season uh you know I, I'm not sure any of us say well that's the wrong way to go I just think that a great bullpen kind of sometimes comes together through alchemy. You, you just can't you can't predict who or what or why a bullpen becomes good. Right. So, look, it was a strength for them last season, right up until the moment that you know that home run sailed over the center field wall in Game Six. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I honestly don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see how this plays out. It was a strength for them last season. You got to hope it, it's a strength again.
0: Uh, Mike sealski, as always, a uh, uh, always fun talking to you. By the way, baseball opening day just 90 days away. Mike, uh, uh, will you be on with Glenn tomorrow?
1: I will be on with Glenn tomorrow. I'm heading down to uh, the Eagles right now to find out what body part Jalen Hurts has regenerated <laughs> since he's uh, able to heal faster than any other pro athlete. He's so I'm eager to find superman. this out. I think of it. I think of it like uh, you know that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where Sean Connery gets shot and. Harrison Ford pours the water from the Holy Grail on him, and he just the bullet wound heals instantaneously. That's kind of what I think the Eagles' trainers are doing with Jalen.
0: Superpower, man. Well, Superpower. For the latest stories from Mike Sealski as well as High Jinks, you should be following him on Twitter at Mike Sealski. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure.